Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs, and money experts. The UK Rose Review recently highlighted that only 1% of all venture funding goes to businesses funded by all female teams. The British Business Bank's UK Venture Capital and Female Founders Report found that for every one pound of VC investment, all female founder teams get less than 1p. So we know there's a real need for funding to be directed towards female entrepreneurs. But how do we get more money for female-led businesses? Joining me today is June Angelides. She's an early-stage investor at Samos Investment and an entrepreneur herself. She founded the social enterprise Moms in Technology, which was the first child-friendly coding school in the UK. June is a mom, a wife, a founder, an investor, and an all-round role model passionate about using her influence to create opportunities for underrepresented groups in tech and getting more money into the hands of female founders. In this episode, June gives us a behind-the-scenes look at the role of an investor, she's a venture capitalist, what the funding process entails for both founders and investors, and where to start if you're considering funding your business. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, June. How are you? Hi. Hi, Emily. I am good, thank you. I'm so happy to have you on the on the wallet today because I haven't seen you for, for ages. We chat on, on social media, but it, yeah. would, it would be so nice to see each other. I know. I am hoping this pandemic goes away and we can have some semblance of, of what life was before. I feel like um, it's definitely made a lot of us realize how much we took for granted and just... For me, I miss hugs. I don't know about you, but that is that is the one thing I am I am deeply missing, just having that that human connection. But you know, despite that, we are we are making the most of our our virtual encounters, and I think we're we're finding a way around it. Exactly, and I'm so happy we can we can still do that. But actually, it's a great opportunity because when we meet, we never have time to have a proper conversation about investing, about your job, your your journey. So I guess we're gonna do that today and try to to tell people a, a little bit more about how can you raise the money when you're a founder, but also understanding a bit more about your job as a venture capitalist. Um, people are, you know, can be a bit dreamy to think about VC and what is the world of Absolutely. VC. <laughs> so we want to know everything today. <laughs> so maybe I'll start by asking you, you know, what's, what's your background? I know you've been working um, in finance, but you're also an entrepreneur, uh, you're, you're a founder, now you're a VC, you're a public figure, you're doing like a lot of different things. So can you tell us a bit your, you know, life story from, from when you were working in, in finance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll take you back even a little bit further. I I grew up in Lagos. A lot of people probably don't realize that, um, hence the airport accent, as I've been told I have. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Lagos. I moved over um, for my A-levels and went to UCL, did economics. And I actually did not 
want to end up in finance. It was very interesting because a lot of my classmates were going for investment banking roles and um, a lot of them were looking to go into the big four. I remember consulting was sort of the buzzword. Everybody wanted a consulting job, mainly because of the salaries and, you know, same with same with investment banking. It was all very attractive to get into sort of like a Goldman Sachs. And I I really did a lot of digging then just to try and understand what the culture was like at these companies. And a lot of people I spoke to told me about the really high level of burnout. And I was very conscious even then, you know, must have been about 20 when I graduated, I knew I didn't want to work in an environment where I wouldn't have a good work-life balance. It was really important to me and, and it didn't appeal to me to work till three in the morning and come back in the office at seven. And I just thought, well, that, that doesn't seem fun. So I, I actually tried to stay clear of the world of finance and started off my career at Thomson Reuters. I worked on the news desk covering syndicated loans. So I guess indirectly was in finance, but I was looking after sort of all the data that went alongside the stories around league tables and and that world of lending and did that for two years and then had the opportunity to be interviewed by the Silicon Valley Bank. This was really early when I went in for the interview. I believe there were less than 20 people in the London office. It was very much a satellite office for, for the US team because this was pre-banking license. This this was an interview for the, the venture debt team and um, I didn't know anything about venture debt. <laughs> I didn't really never even heard about venture capital at that point. It was it was all very new and and really to be very honest, I, I didn't know too much about entrepreneurship and tech, but it all sounded really fascinating the more I dug into it. And obviously, you know, you get a bit of imposter syndrome, but I'm, I'm really grateful that you know, they took a, a bit of a gamble with me coming from an untraditional background. And when I joined, one of the first deals I worked on was, was Farfetch, uh, which wow. is a really wonderful way to sort of break into this world. And, and, and I think because we were such a small team, I had the opportunity to get involved in all parts of the deal from meeting the founders to the negotiations with the venture capital fund to doing all the due diligence and the portfolio management. And then afterwards sort of helping to make introductions to, to sort of the wider ecosystem because SVB was very much around just really connecting the dots in, in the tech ecosystem. So for me, that was, you know, super, super interesting, super varied and um, interesting a year on. I you know, did recently got married and you know, started a family, so had my, my first child. And when I came, in, came back 14 months later, there was a chance to join a new team called the Early Stage Banking Team. Again, another really cool chance to get to know companies a lot earlier. So I was working with companies out of EF and Seedcamp, and it really gave me that chance to see that you know, that early, um, that process of team forming, of ideation, because a lot of the EF companies, when they are formed, you know, they, they build that idea together. So I got really fascinated. And, you know, when I, when I had a chance to have another break about a year and a half on, I thought, I'm going to see what it's like to build something. And, you know, that's, that was really the genesis of, of Moms in Tech, really, wanting to build, realizing that hiring a developer is really hard 
and a lot of the times um, you know you're speaking a different language if you're not familiar with with tech and the ins and outs of coding and they're trying to tell you about APIs and you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it feels like it feels like a different language. So um, I thought I'd educate myself and learn to code when I had a year out of work. And in that very in that process, realized that there wasn't anything available for mothers to attend with their with their children. I mean, <laughs> I guess people didn't think that mothers would want to learn, but that just baffled me. I I found it very strange that all that was available were mummy baby classes and nothing to help women further their education. And it's um, a fantastic yes. time for, for mothers to learn, actually, when you have you know, young babies, you're on maternity leave, you just want to do something different. You don't really want to, exactly. maybe you don't want to work on, you know, big work projects, but just discover something different and come with your baby. Exactly. And, and I was very conscious of this because... The first time round, I'd come back into work and had totally lost my confidence. I mean, it was it was crazy because I obviously had worked on the venture team before and I could not remember half the things I'd done. It was a total baby fog. You know, they describe baby brain. And you know, at the time I thought, oh, that'll never happen to me. But truly, between the loss of confidence and just having not touched any work for 14 months I really did feel like the new kid at school so I was very conscious I didn't want that to happen again and I wanted to find a way to just keep my brain active and learn something new I mean it could have been anything but it just happened that because I was interested in technology and wanted to build that I ended up starting um, coding school for moms which obviously the idea evolved and I, I really thought well why don't we just give a nice introduction into the world of tech so it really became about breaking down those barriers and actually those misconceptions that coding or working in a tech company is just about sitting in a dark room (laughs) typing lines of code because there are just so many more departments to a tech company that perhaps are not as you know glamorous or not as advertised but are all very important in making the whole machine work they all have to fit together and and work well and have an understanding of what each other do and that that really was the mission for Mums in Tech which I ran for three years during which I um, I learned so much about female founders about entrepreneurship but also having tried to raise funding for ourselves it was an absolute nightmare just trying to get people to understand the value we were bringing to the table but actually on reflection Perhaps we were we were beating down on the wrong doors, and you know when people ask me about venture capital, I actually say these days that it's not for every company, and I know that's something that we'll we'll talk about later. But we we were definitely looking at the wrong source of funding for us at that time. Uh, but it just made me realize that you know so many other amazing companies were not getting the money they deserved, and I made a decision that actually. Perhaps I could make a difference by getting a seat at the table. And and that's how I started my hunt to find the right firm to join and got in touch with a few people just you know, trying to network my way in. Because, you know, again, I'm sure many people will see that not many jobs are advertised you know, for venture capital in, in the obvious places. 
you almost need to know someone. And I was very lucky to be introduced to Diversity VC, who are obviously changing a lot of that and um, making it really accessible to, to become a venture capitalist. And um, in, got introduced to Samos, which was perfect in terms of timing, in terms of hours. It was three days a week, which was really unheard of for venture capital. And I think the job spec actually said that the person could be an entrepreneur. And I, at that point, I was still running Mums and Tech. So it really was aligned to sort of that sense of freedom that I think I always need to have in whatever I pursue. <laughs> Uh, it's it's been a, it's been a journey, and it was fascinating to see you. I remember seeing you pitch uh, Mums in Tech. Uh, I remember it was you were super hot, like you were in all these you know articles and press. So that was fantastic, and and seeing you now with more like the investor hat. Um, is is great because that means you're looking, I guess, a lot more at female businesses and getting funding into the into the right pockets. Do you think it was helpful to be a founder to become uh, an investor uh, in VC? I personally think it gives me some perspective as to what the founders are going through, at least from an empathy perspective. I I've worn that hat. I I know it's it's an emotional journey. I'm very conscious of that. I know fundraising is really hard to have to repeat that pitch over and over again to potentially hundreds of people and you know you, you need them to believe in you and it's hard that that suspense I'm constantly trying to put myself in their shoes also having been there myself where you're hoping that someone will just you know trust in in your vision and in your ability so I hope it makes me a better investor but but that's not to say that some of the really amazing investors out there who haven't had an operator background are, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not as good. Um, I think what, what I love about venture capital is seeing the variety of backgrounds of, of some of the best investors out there. You, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a finance background. I wouldn't really say I do. I'm not really a numbers person. And I say this, you know, very openly because I want people to realize that you can come in with different skills. I would say when I had my interview, perhaps my superpower was my networking. And I think there's obviously very different elements that are important when you're in VC, but origination is really key. And obviously people skills. I think you got to love people if you're working in venture capital. And I do. And, and you know, that's inherently a big part of me, but I would never claim to be a numbers person per se. I get it, but I, I think that's never been my superpower. I, I think that's something that I'm constantly working really hard at. Yeah. And what can you tell us a bit more about your your day to day job? So for people yeah. who don't know what is VC, what is venture capital, like your three days a week, what what do you do? Absolutely. People will be very, very disappointed to realize that I spend a lot of my time at Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> feel like I am I am the diary girl because it is it's a lot of a lot of scheduling surprisingly I think I was I wasn't even prepared for how much time I would spend trying to find time in people's diaries and my diary and trying to find times to work around you know, different time zones but yeah I would say I spend a lot of time obviously speaking to founders researching different spaces you know you see now we're, we're in a in a very heightened economic climate and you know we're just spending time just understanding trends 
you know, making sure we're investing in the right things. Obviously, you know, we we all care about climate sustainability and, and obviously we want to find this drug for COVID. So, you know, there's ma- there's many things that are super important right now, but, you, you know, as an investor, you're trying to make sure that, and as an ethical one as well, you want to make sure you're investing in the right things, but things that will obviously make a difference to, to our planet, to, to people's lives. And, and I think to be able to do that well, you have to be aware of what's going on in the world. So, so, so reading is a big part of my job, speaking to other investors. I always try and carve out time to have catch-ups, mainly, um, you know, just checking in on people. I think it's really important. But also we, we do obviously tend to share deal flow. You know, Samos is a, so we're an earlier stage um, investment fund and, you know, we don't tend to lead. So we would tend to come in on rounds with other funds. So I think that the best way to, to make sure you're not missing out on, on good deals is you, you really do have to build those strong relationships so that when people are working on something that they know is in your space, that they, they remember you. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's really it's really key. You have to develop those really strong, strong bonds with, with other VCs, but also founders. You know, the founders in our portfolio, we're spending time with them, um, just making sure we have regular catch-ups, um, reading the updates that they send, and just just checking in, especially in these times. Just making sure that they they know that we're available should they need anything from us, whether it be an introduction to another investor for the next raise. Um, so just constantly thinking about what is that shape of your portfolio look like um, and then also events <laughs> that's also part of the 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 nature of our our industry that there, there's so many events I guess you have to really pick which ones you attend it's slightly different now because they're virtual um, but it, obviously in pre-covid times events are good for for networking and it's, it's important to build those strong connections, be available to the founders. Um, I tend to do, um, especially events where I can offer mentoring. I think that's really important to, to help founders who you know, perhaps have you know questions around fundraising and may not necessarily have a chance to, to reach you under normal circumstances. So it's a great opportunity in these types of spaces for them to be connected with you. I do spend a lot of time on Twitter. I think that's a great place to network. Um, it's a quick place to network. You don't have to pick up the phone, but you can you can learn so much. I think following the right people. But I, I do think it's it's great. The pandemic has actually been brilliant for Twitter networking. I think a lot of people are really sharing a lot of ideas and thoughts, and it's easy to jump in on a conversation and 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 really start to build your brand. And yeah, there's there's a lot you can say. So obviously, say only the things that are sensible. <laughs> This can be a lot of Twitter, Twitter rants. So try not to rant. <laughs> but but the, the day is very varied, and I think it's really one where you can shape how your day goes, and that's what I really love. That it's so flexible because I work three days a week. I'm very conscious that I really need to make sure I I leave time to think because you're taking in so much information from so many different sources. You need to be able to sort of really think about all that and make sure you know, you're, when you're analyzing the deals that you've, you know, then the founders that you've met, make sure you're giving them the, the right amount of time to understand their business. And then obviously present that back. We have a weekly pipeline meeting where we highlight the companies that we really enjoyed chatting to and, and discussing which ones should be brought back in just to meet the partners. 
you know, when we're investing, it can be pretty quick just because we have one LP. So I would say anything from two to three weeks could be our, our time frame. obviously, because we're not leading the rounds. In some cases, it may take longer only because we're, we're waiting to find out who is leading the round. Um, at, at which point we, we sort of will give our final decision. But um, I'd say it can be quite quick. And, and I do love that it, we can invest in almost every space. So that keeps it really interesting, keeps me on my toes. So it means I have to keep learning about different things all the time. And I think obviously that can be challenging because, you know, crypto is one thing I do not understand. <laughs> but, but we have invested in a crypto company. So it's it's a constant challenge. It's a learning curve. Constantly, absolutely constant steep learning curve. But, you know, I think this is it. You know, the, the founders are the experts. We are sort of there to help facilitate bring their their vision to life but by no means are we ever trying to know more than them so I think they have the advantage they come in the room and they're they're the pros and and I think um we're always conscious to make sure they know that you know we're we're looking up to them for, for guidance to you know break it down so that we can understand what they're doing but by by no by no means are we ever trying to be smarter than them. They are the geniuses. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's very interesting, and thank you for for bringing that up, because often as founders, and I've raised money for another business in the past. Uh, I haven't raised for for Vespod, so maybe I want to talk about you know the relationship between founders and investors, and it can be early stage mm-hmm. investors, it can be um, angel investors. Maybe you can you can give us the different categories of investors. But often, as a founder, you feel you have to you know pitch your business and go find the right investors, as you said, like pitch I don't know maybe hundreds of different VCs. Yeah. Uh, but you have to remember that as a founder, you're the one coming with your amazing business, your amazing mission, what you want to achieve. So it's also for you as a founder to find the right investor for your business, because as you as you were mentioning, you. I mean, you bring so much value to the to the table, and and you will bring a lot to the founders. So mm-hmm. how how does that happen when your 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 founder to find? How do you find the, the the perfect investor? Yeah, I mean, I I always say that it's it's like a marriage, and and you do hear that a lot, and it's so true. You have to get on, but also that there has to be clear value add. I think founders should never rush to take money. And, and obviously it could happen where you have money thrown at you. Very often, you know, the wrong investor could come to you and say, well, I'll do your whole round. But you really need to take the time to understand who have they funded in the past? How did that relationship look? And actually, you really want to know what happened when it went bad. If, if the, fa- you know, the company, one of their portfolio companies weren't performing well, how did they react in those circumstances? Because that's really telling us to um, the kind of investors they are. And, and in the long run, you really want to have partners who, even when things aren't going great, you want them to have your back, help you work through that scenario. Because look at COVID, I'm sure many companies that were performing well, but obviously in certain sectors, they would not have anticipated facing any challenges right now. But being with the right team, and I say the investors definitely become part of your team, um, is, is super critical um, because that that can literally make or break a company you know, when, when it comes to, to the crunch. And, and that's almost what you're 
you're having to envision all scenarios. Obviously, when it's great, it's wonderful and everyone's on board, but you also want to think about when things aren't great, are they going to stick with you? Are they going to support you and help you work through it? Yeah. Um, almost like, you know, in a marriage when, you know, it's not always rosy, but you, you work through the difficult times and, and you find a solution together. And, and that's really what you're looking for. So when we have invested, we take the time to, to really get to know the founders as people. Yeah. And I'm all about human connections. I will jump on a WhatsApp with you. I'll go on a walk with you. I, <laughs> I will follow you on Instagram. We will chat. I will like your pictures. And, you know, it's it's very much about that a human humanity and yeah. I'm all about that our our last two investments have have been with people who we didn't meet before we offered offered to to join the round but we did have loads of interactions we spoke loads on the phone and had whatsapp calls and had video calls and you know really really got to know them and and I think it's so important that you just you you do take your time do your reference checks as the founder find out how 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 they really act yeah and, and don't be afraid to ask questions about about those scenarios yeah i think ask questions understand do your own due diligence as a founder yeah. look at different funds i mean meeting them there's so many events now even online for for startups so yeah really look at you know all the investors you could you could get on your on your cap table but also with regards to cap table it's so important just to make sure you, you really think about what you want that to look like early on, how much you want to give away in terms of dilution, but also like what each party will will be contributing. And, and I think the last thing you want is a really long tail of, of tiny angel investors only because when it comes to documentation, these are the people you're having to go back to each time to sign off. So really thinking about that number, you don't you don't want to have too many people on there. Yeah. Definitely, and and maybe you can you can tell us the difference between the like the different investors from if you're like say a very early stage business you've never raised money you need to raise maybe you know fifty k hundred k what are your options then what yeah. do you do after that like maybe a seed round that's maybe where Samo sees and now how do you go through series A B and C if you can give us a quick picture of you know equity funding uh, for for Absolutely. for businesses. Yes, I guess, you know, very often, obviously, you know, it depends on, on circumstance, but very, very often what you will hear is that, you know, to an extent, people will bootstrap. Um, you, you may have had some savings. Um, I guess this tends to happen more when you've, you've had enough time to sort of plan it and slowly make that transition from a corporate career into running your own business. Perhaps you had enough time to save money and then and then you finally make the leap or you're, you're doing it alongside working or, or freelancing so people tend to to bootstrap it perhaps you have access to to friends and family who can um, invest in your business you, you tend to hear that where perhaps you can raise a friends and family round of you know anything from 20k to 100k in some cases could be more if you've got really wealthy friends and family you know it, it could be sort of as, as big as that what can be um, and then I guess the next route would be angels. And, you know, it's quite a, a mysterious world, this this world of angel investing, one which I've personally been trying to democratize. And I, I've got a an air table that I put out and just said, people, just put your details if you're an angel investor, because I find it's such a guarded world. Yes, there's a few syndicate groups 
there is Angel Academ, there's Alma Angels. But I think overall, it's really hard to identify who are the angels. Um, it's not something that is often publicly advertised. Um, but I think overall, you can say that perhaps a lot of partners do tend to angel invest. A lot of C-suite exec, execs tend to be angel investors. But you know, these can be individual, you know, individuals who are high net worth and I would say, you know, tend to make investments using the EIS and SEIS scheme. So that that really helps to, you know, mitigate any of that risk with which people might worry about in terms of, you know, business performance. And if, you know, if it doesn't work out, they get some of their money back from the tax man, which is great. So that's a really great scheme to utilize and all businesses you know, to an extent should have access to this. So it's worth exploring. So that's, you know, that's the route we tend to see. We also have, we utilize that scheme um, as well when we're investing in companies on the earlier side. So I think it's, it's a, it's a great route to, to get your early money in, especially sort of pre-product. And the next step was probably institutional, institutional money. And there's so many different types of funds and I think the challenge is often trying to streamline and figure out what is the what is the right fund. But the beauty of it is a lot of the funds will have information on their websites as to previous companies they've invested in. So, that, you know, it's all a bit of homework, doing um, a bit of research on, on different funds and the types of companies they've invested in. Never be worried about networking, even pre thinking about investment, just start getting to know people in the investment space and start to understand the kinds of metrics they need in order to invest in your company so that you know what you're working towards. And, you know, like today I spoke to a founder who is not raising at the moment. She, she raised already last year and she might be looking to raise perhaps next year, but she's starting to get to know potential investors because she knows that we've invested in similar companies in the past but is starting to get, you know, in our radar, which I think is really important, but informally, and you do that. And then, you know, what I've said to her is, you know, keep me in the loop and I'll keep tracking your business and we can have a follow-up chat, you know, towards the end of the year, but you should definitely constantly be thinking about um, who could be the next investor, but start to date them as it were, start to (laughs) put feelers out and get a sense for what they're like as individuals, but also start tracking what, what they're investing in, but and, and never be afraid to ask how much money they have to deploy because that's important. You don't want to, you know, be invested in by a company who, you know, in the next couple of months will would have dried out and not have any money to deploy. So that's really important. You want them to be able to back you in future rounds. So so ask those tough questions, but I think it's it's their responsibility as well to answer it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. So really important, like building your building your network of, of investors, also with other founders, sending updates to investors, also getting some feedback. I mean, you do these mentoring sessions. These are, these are really, really useful. I just wanted to take a, a slight step back because I feel, and I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of female founders or business owners who happen to be women, there's a big like startup culture at the moment, you know, Silicon Valley, raising money, I guess when you're in the tech world, you read TechCrunch and the headlines are all about, you know, this is like a 
10 million, 100 million raise, they're going for like <laughs> IPO, all these big headlines. And when you're starting your business, this can be a bit scary. You know, I, I think for, for me, like reading this, I, I decided to bootstrap Vespot. So just put some of my savings and trying to generate actually uh, ungenerating revenues before uh, raising money. So I may raise, I may not raise. But do you think everyone should raise for their businesses? Does it add of course, it will add, um, you know, the value of working with investors who know the market, want you to, you know, accelerate your development. They're here to give you capital. So if you need to hire people, of course, you need some funding. But do you believe there's also space for people who want to build their business organically, want to make money earlier and, and like self-fund basically their, their operations? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Fundraising is definitely glamorized and... You know, I'm always very conscious of, of letting founders know that, first of all, VC is not the only option. And actually, you should only really take VC money if you're ready for scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we all know those podcasts, Masters of Scale. Venture, venture money is for companies that are ready to grow exponentially fast. And, and that is not every type of business. There are some businesses that are meant to be you know, your mom and pop shop. And I think that's absolutely fine. There are more community. Um, there are companies that are, you know, just meant to be just at a very local level or, or more lifestyle. And I think it's absolutely fine to own that. But I think it's very important that that is something you really think about before even thinking about venture capital. Because yeah. there, are ma- there are many businesses that, as you say, can make money from day one. Um, so it really depends on, on the ambition for the company um, and, and how, how you see that trajectory looking. If, if you need tons and tons of capital, then I would say go for VC money. Otherwise, if you've got the money in the bank, then I don't see the point in diluting. Because that is the reality people don't factor in, that as you get more and more investment, those founders who started off owning 100% of their business by C, D round, you know, they're left with, you know, 20, 30 percent if they're lucky. Yeah. Because as each investor comes in, that that pool of of um, shares is going down and you're having to dilute in order to make space for the next big investor that you take on. So as, as glamorous as those huge mega rounds look, the original founder is getting phased away with each round. So that's something to to bear in mind, how much control you want to have of your business. Basically, where do you see this business going is is a very um, important conversation you need to have with yourself before going down that route and um, really take the time to do that. It's it's, it's all important because you're you're then accountable to that investor, to your board. It's not just you. And there's obviously the chance, you know, you hear these stories where, you know, the board gets quite a lot of control and, and, and your idea may not necessarily make it to what becomes executed. So you, you do lose a, a bit of that control. So really thinking about what, what is the end goal here? Yeah, so with, with additional money, of course, comes, you know, additional pressure. So really measuring the pros and cons. And yeah, ideally, you know, setting up your goal when you start your business and, you know, don't just start something like that and see exactly. see what's going to happen because exactly. that will really define your, your business and structure, I guess. Absolutely. June, we have a very hot subject also I wanted to discuss today. <laughs> You're, you've been a role model, you're, you know, mom, wife, oh. investor, founder. 
you really putting yourself out there. I know it's not easy. I'm also trying to do to do it for for my community <laughs> in terms of getting women to to finance, ask for more money, uh, invest more money. So it's it's you know being out there all the time. But we have we have a big issue um, in in venture capital and, and funding. I mean, you've we've all seen the Rose Review published by Alison Rose. Only mm. 1% of all venture funding goes to businesses founded by all female teams. That's extremely low. You're fighting for, you know, for more opportunities for underrepresented groups in tech and founders. So what can we do, June? These numbers are really, really awful. What's happening at the moment? How can we get more money in the hands of female founders? Yeah, it's um, it's it's really... It's really depressing, actually. I was looking at it the other day, just trying to see sort of how far we've come. And the, the, the good news is that, you know, all this is not putting off female founders from starting businesses. That, if anything, I can say that that's the good news. Is we're, we're still seeing amazing businesses being built. And I guess the other good thing is that there is accountability. People are watching. The, the British Bank has, they're collecting data on, on companies and trying to understand what their investment processes look like, how many female founders they're seeing, how many are getting to investment committee. I think just even that act of going through your database and realizing how and where you are on, on that scale is important because I think half the time is maybe just a lack of awareness of you know what those numbers look like internally. So I'm hoping that just with a bit of accountability, more will be done. The good thing is we're seeing so many more women get into venture capital. The numbers are going up slowly, but they're going up, which is a, a great thing. And, you know, we've got great um, initiatives like Diverse VC and Included VC. And I think there's, there's a new one called Merit VC. So hopefully we will start to see those numbers go up even more, just a lot more diversity of thoughts at the table in, in venture capital. And, and I think that's where we'll start to see, you know, changes in decision-making, but I, I think ultimately we need more women in decision-making roles. I think that's where the needle really starts to change. Uh, we need more women at partner level, but, you know, already we've seen some great women of really move up the ladder in the last year and get promoted and move into great funds so hopefully more to come of that and and i think that really does help to 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 shift the dial and signal to female founders that okay there are allies and obviously there are some incredible male allies out there i think that's so important to highlight that it just it doesn't just mean that there have to be women at the table for things to happen because already there are great men funding female founders so that's really important to to recognize but, but obviously we need to see more of it. There needs to be more um, education for female founders on on getting in, you know, pitch ready. We need to see more confidence because it can be intimidating going into a room full of men. So I think as much information this can be shared with them beforehand to prepare them for for that presentation and give them all the tools they need to succeed, then I think then we start to see real progress, but but the tools need to be made available. And, and that can be as simple as the funds being very clear on their websites about their process, about what they're looking for. So people know and have that information beforehand and, and really come prepared. Yeah, no, that's really important. And, you know, 
it, it's great to hear that you know there's a lot of progress in in the industry. Would you say it's also the same for? I mean, I was reading that, for example, black founders receive even more funding. I think that's less than than one percent. Do you also see some initiatives uh, for like other underrepresented groups? Yeah, I mean, there's 10 by 10 VC um, in the UK, which is a group of black investors who are running, you know, several events to just educate and provide um, opportunities for black founders to ask those questions, to network, to to just really raise their voices and, and help help VCs understand their you know their businesses and and that there is there is a problem with with lack of investment in in black founders i think there's there's definitely a lot of work to be done but again we start with awareness that there is a problem and already you can see funds like was it softbank creating a pot of money and i believe atomico has also done this so i would say that there has been a lot more awareness that Funds need to just spend more time in in different communities, getting to know and understand the backgrounds of, of various founders, just so that when they're walking into the room, all that unconscious bias hopefully would be a thing of the past. And and I think there are great programs out there run by like Hustle Crew, and and I believe you know people people are doing the right thing in in um, continuing the conversation, but that conversation needs to continue. And we need to actually see checks being written. I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I believe you know more money to to female founders who are gonna grow, you know, big businesses, then also make money from from their their businesses, and then exactly, in turn, it's not a be- charity. No, it's not, not a charity, and then you know we'll we'll become the we'll become the investors of tomorrow. So we'll have we'll have a seat at, at at the table. So I I believe I mean in we talk about that all the time, but. Yeah. Money is power, whether you you want it or not, and and you know th- these businesses fully will make money. They're solving a lot of the time like issues that we have as women, as women. So this is super important. Absolutely, and I think the reality is, if we don't have women building products for women, ultimately, you know, we're going to have the same repeat of of history where, you know, like the car seat problem, you know, car seat that was built. Yeah by men without women in mind. We won't have products that are built for us. And I think it's so important that that's something that is factored in when people are taking deals to investment committee, making sure that you know the products that they m- might want to sideline and might not want to invest, who's going to fund them? Because the women need them to be built. It's not it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have, but they need to get investment. Yeah. You know, we're talking menopause products, we're talking all these things that might affect women or in the case of like Afro hair, there is a big market. It's, it's not a small market. There is a massive market out there and we want to be able to, to have a situation where a founder of an Afro hair product can go into one of the top funds and have the same attention as the founder of, I don't know, the next Tesla yeah. You know, it should it should it should be a no brainer because there is a market, there are customers that will buy it. So why isn't that money going into that product being created? Because it is very important. Yeah. No, thank you, June. Super important. I have some quick fire questions for you uh, okay. before we wrap up. What are your top three financial goals? 
Ooh, the first one is to be able to do my first angel investment next year. That's exciting. Yes. And then I think the the next would be, I want to be mortgage-free by 50. (laughs) And then I think I would love to, to build up enough savings so when I retire, I don't have to worry about money. Yeah, that's a good one. What's your best financial decision, the best financial decision you've made, you've ever made? Best financial decision? Maybe, to be honest, I think the first, the best financial decision was being more open about my finances with my husband. I think growing up, I had this vision that as a woman, you just sort of keep keep your finances to yourself and everyone does their own thing. I'm such an independent person and I And I always assume I wouldn't have to talk about money with anyone, but actually the best thing I ever did was talk about it with him and start planning our money together. Yeah, definitely. And any bad or like worst financial decision? Oh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) So many. Um, At university, I think the worst thing that ever happened was me getting a gap year job and thinking that because I had a job and I could finally apply for a credit card that it was a good idea to get the maximum amount available. And I think I racked up about 11,000 in debt, which was terrible. Uh. <laughs> I know. So that was like the worst thing I've ever done. So not very responsible when I was at university. <laughs> That's how you learn. <laughs> <laughs> the hard way. What is, um, what is financial independence for you? Oh, uh, Financial independence, I think for me, would mean having a healthy savings balance, but also being debt-free. Yeah. And the things you spend the most money on at the moment? Childcare. (laughs) Childcare. Uh, Without a doubt. 100%. That's that's an investment. That's an investment. That's fine. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, apart from that, the mortgage. (laughs) June, thank you so much for this. I just want to finish by maybe your, your final tips. So what's like one thing you've learned over, you know, these amazing careers, like working for from, you know, corporate to then startup and now in VC, if you had like one tip um, or one thing that, that works really well for you that you could share? Always make sure you're getting paid. Make sure you're getting yeah. paid the right amount. I think especially as founders, um, and I remember this happening very recently where we asked a founder how much, she was going to get paid. And she said nothing. And I I think it's very important that founders realize that, you know, you're building a business, but you got to invest in yourself too. And and your investors are investing in you. So make sure you're taking care of yourself financially. Make sure you have enough to, to live on decent amounts so that you can focus on building your business. That's why you're getting investment to give you that time, that headspace, to be able to to really execute and you cannot do that if you're broke yeah. so please please pay yourself when you're doing anything make sure you're getting paid the right amount if you're not sure ask ask around don't be afraid to talk about money i wish i'd known that sooner yeah because it's fantastic to take risk but if you have the can have this yeah, sort of you, you know paid. mini financial security take it yeah yeah it's the it's the worst if you if you're um you're stressed about money so so make sure you're getting paid for your work. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And June, anything, I mean, what are you working on? What's, what do you feel is next for you? 
Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Obviously, an investor three days a week. You you know you know me. My my diary is it doesn't end there. <laughs> I'm constantly thinking up crazy ideas. Um, I I really have always wanted to do a talk show, and I've been saying this for a while. So I I am working on something. Oh, that's, that's fun. It, something will happen by the end of the year. We're going to manifest it, Emily. We're going to oh, manifest it. I love that. I love that. Do you have it on your board? By the end of the year. <laughs> I said it out loud now, so it's got to happen. Oh, come back come back to the wallet and tell us all about it. Um, that's really exciting. I, I cannot wait. I can't wait. <laughs> June, thank you so much. It was such a good conversation. I hope it was oh. um, helpful for everyone to learn a bit more about VC. And obviously, you can, uh, you can find June... Uh, online is instagram and, and twitter the best um, yes. the best way to reach out absolutely you can reach out to me on instagram and twitter at june angelides perfect and we'll add uh, this in the show notes so you can uh, you, you'll have the direct links june thank you so so much for your time and it was it was a pleasure talking to you today oh thank you so much for having me speak to you soon bye speak soon bye If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Thank you.